Hey everybody, good morning. We welcome you to Salem Heights Church. And what we want to start off with is this. We've been praying for our counties, for Marion and Polk County, praying for our state. And, and know that as a church, we have been uh, lifting all the folks that have been affected by these fires up in prayer. We also want to let you know that as we're going out and serving in the community to help these folks, please let us know anything that we can be doing uh, that you know of how we could come alongside others that are in need at this time. So we welcome you to Salem Heights Church. We're so It's so awesome that at a time when we're going through what we're all going through, that we can be in our homes doing church together or being in small groups doing church together. So if it's your first time with us, know this, we're thankful you're here with us. And we're going to ask you to let us know that you came. You can, you can contact us on the church website or at info at salemheightschurch.org. Know that it matters to us that you now are joining in this with us. Um, also, ladies, here's the thing. 6 p.m. this next Wednesday, you will have girls' night out. That's the fellowship time. And then you'll begin it at 6.30 with the official beginning of the time. Men, here's what you can do. Keep the kids. We don't have childcare available. So support your wives in this. We want our ladies to be able to come and enjoy fellowship. They're going to be outside. They're going to be around campfires. And they're going to have a wonderful night of fellowship together. So men, we can help if we will just step up and help with the kiddos. All right. Again, we're thankful you're with us. Enjoy your time in worship, and then may this message affect all of us uh, in our hearts and our minds as we move forward. Thank you.
For grace to trust you more and we need that kind of faith to trust you more and more especially with what's been going on around us father we need you we want you to take control of our fears god we want peace we pray for those people that have been affected by the fires here over the past couple of weeks people that have been displaced lost their homes lost loved ones tragic God, I pray that you would comfort those folks, that you would bring Christian believers into their lives that would be able to speak a word from you to them. Because we know that really only you, only your son will bring lasting peace and comfort and joy in the midst of trials. God, we would pray that today we'd be reminded from your word of your promises to us. So we need that. So we pray that you'd help us to hear from you now. Help us to listen intently. Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, good morning, Salem Heights. Uh, we are gathered once again together. And I'm praying that you are safe in your homes, that you've been able to gather not just with your family, but God willing with somebody else, or you are participating in unpacking these messages week after week with another individual and applying them to your lives. We're excited about what God is doing as we stay connected. We're in a series right now called In the Desert, But Not Deserted. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. 
is where we're going to be this morning, and we're talking about the subject of God's faithfulness. He is faithful even when we are faithless. Uh, as we go through this series, we're inspecting our own lives um, and answering an overall question, how do you handle the heat of the desert? This season that we're in, not just in our church, but in our city, our state, our nation, in the world, it's a season that feels like we're in the desert. Uh, the heat has been turned up. The circumstances are overwhelming. So how do you handle the heat of the desert? We've used the acronym ICE. I inspect your own heart. C, comfort others with the comfort that you received in Christ. And E, elevate your view. Take your view off of the circumstances, off of the storm, off of yourself, and look to Christ. So we're evaluating at the end of uh, every single message our response based on those three things. Or how are we bringing ice uh, to the desert, handling the heat of the desert? How are we inspecting our lives, comforting others, and elevating our view? Uh, I was reading an article about a man named Randy Reed. 1995, uh, he was up on a water tower doing some work for his company. Felt that he had... Um, clipped off and that he was actually in a safe situation, uh, but felt his balance starting to go. And as his momentum began to carry him towards the edge of this water tower he was welding, uh, he felt himself lose control. Now he was 110 feet in the air, 110 feet up. He feels as his chain that attached him to the water tower had failed and he begins to tumble off of that. He said, you can think about a lot of things in 110 feet. It took him a long time to hit the ground. He landed uh, on the ground in a splat. The people around him uh, surrounded him very quickly. And as they arrived, they expected to find a guy that was, at the very least, knocked out, uh, at the very worst, dead. But they find him not only aware, but talking to them, sitting on a dirt pile. He landed on the ground. They laid him out, made sure that he did not move just in case something was broken and beyond repair. The EMTs get there. They strapped him in. They stabilized him in order to take him to the hospital. But he had survived 110-foot drop uh, to land on this dirt pile. And as he was being taken away in the ambulance, he could be heard saying to the guys, hey, it's been a rough day, man. Don't drop me. He was concerned about not just the fall that he had taken off of the water tower, but sometimes those who come to help also do harm. We're living in a situation where we could never have anticipated what is going on in 2020. And the year is not done. And very few people would say that they are uh, expecting more tragedy and more tragedy. But as we look at the, the closing months of this year, we are expecting that the turmoil is not yet done. And in fact, some of those who have come to help may be those who do harm. How do you handle all of this? The uncertainty, the, the sense of loss, the discouragement that comes with a season like this. How do you handle the heat of the desert? This passage that we are looking at highlights not only what Israel did, but the temptations that they faced in the middle of the desert. When the heat gets turned up, we tend to run to idols and other things of our own making. 
But we're going to look at not only uh, in this series what it was that they were facing, but how they were tempted and what tools God gave them to overcome and experience triumph. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, so that we would not desire evil things as they did. I want to highlight three phrases in this passage that prove a point. And the point is that when we are faithless, God is faithful. Three phrases. And the first one that is significant and that might have jumped out at you as we were reading it is this phrase. It says that all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Baptized into Moses. Moses was the man that God sent to answer Israel's captivity. They were in captivity in Israel. There was no answer for them. They were under the power of Egypt and under the power of a man, uh, an accuser, and one that opposed them in Pharaoh. Moses was not much to look at. He was not much when it came to leadership in general, but he was the one that was sent by God to help them. In fact, what Scripture indicates to us is that Moses was a picture of Christ. His divine calling was to meet their desperate need. In Scripture, biblical leaders get their authority not from their ability or from things that they have manufactured, but from God. We're going into a season right now, and even though it's late, the schools are beginning to start up. Uh, for those of you who are uh, this is your first time being back in school. School was a thing that we used to do where we would gather together in a room and have a teacher and we all had masks off. So we're back into a season right now where we can hear from a teacher in some situations. In a classic uh, school classroom, a teacher can be found using helpers. Uh, they might grab one of the students out of the class and ask them to uh, go and uh, grab papers from other people or be able to hand out pencils or uh, maybe even would ask them to help in grading. But the power in, that is invested in the helper comes from the teacher. Now, if you're one of the students and you don't like what the helper has told you to do or what the helper is asking you to participate in or even the grade that the helper has assigned, you can get mad at that helper. But what you're really doing is not rejecting the helper, you're rejecting the teacher. Imagine for a moment that uh, a helper says, I need to take this pencil and replace it with another one so that you can take a test. And you're upset, no, that's my favorite pencil. And you look at that helper and you begin to get frustrated with them. But now imagine in your mind's eye that right behind that helper comes the teacher. What is your response? Well, if you respect that authority, you bow and say, here's my pencil, and you take that from their hand. It's not the helper that you're responding to, but the authority of the teacher. Moses was somebody sent by God. And we look at Moses, and we're thankful for Moses, but he was only Moses. He was only that great leader because of the God 
that was behind him. He got his authority from him. And when it says that they were all baptized into Moses, uh, it broadens our understanding of what it means to be baptized. The essence in this passage that this word baptized means uh, is not that they were dipped into the water and came back up and declared their allegiance, but they were publicly declaring, that's God's leader, I'm with him. It was a public declaration that they were with Moses. Moses, as we said, did not have any power. He wasn't a uh, political figure. He wasn't a military leader. They didn't have an army to defend them. In fact, they were in an indefensible situation. Pharaoh was on the hill. He had all of the power. If he was in trouble, he had the ability to retreat. Israel had none of those things. Water on one side, the army on another, and rocks all around them. And yet Israel declared in that moment, I'm with Moses. Why? Not because Moses was in a great position to win the day, but because God was in control. They walked through the waters, they walked through and were set free. And it's the great salvation story of Israel that is used as an illustration of salvation in our own experience. In spite of their doubts, God caused them to experience personal salvation and direction. They had doubts, but God directed them and set them free. Baptized into Moses is the first phrase, but the second phrase we see there is it says that they all uh, ate the same spiritual food. Verse 3, they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. What was the spiritual food that he is indicating? Once again, another story, and we find that story in Exodus 16. That spiritual food was manna. In Exodus 16, when we read the story, um, Israel has now gone through the floodwaters. Uh, they have uh, gone through into safety. Egypt is behind them, but they're wandering in a desert. And they've come to a moment where they had run out of food and they were hungry. It says this, The entire Israelite community departed from Elim and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, in the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread that we wanted, instead, you brought us out into the wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. At the end of the chapter, it says, And the whole house of Israel named the substance manna. It resembled coriander seed and was white and tasted like wafers made with honey. Same spiritual food. They ate manna. In this story, uh, as Moses is writing it down, he is recalling by the Spirit of God what had actually happened, and he tells us that manna was God's answer to complaint. I uh, read about a guy, Will Brown, a pastor um, in the middle part of America, and he actually has created a bracelet that became quite popular. It was a bracelet that you put on your wrist and you would snap it every time that you experienced a, a complaint, you'd snap it on your wrist and then switch sides with the bracelet. 
The bracelet was meant to highlight our addiction to complaining. And he said the goal is to go 21 days without snapping your wrist or switching hands. Every time you complain, snap and switch. Every time that you are irritated by somebody driving or uh, in your home or by your circumstances and you began to vocalize it, you'd snap and switch that. It became so popular, not just in his congregation, in his city, in his state, but he actually founded a, a company and he sold 10 million of these bracelets in 100 countries. A bracelet that's meant to try to retrain individuals from their addiction to complaining. 10 million people thought that it was a worthy endeavor to try to stop complaining. They saw the pain of it in their own lives. Complaint is an addiction. Complaint was a problem while they were in the desert, and complaint was a problem that God answered with spiritual food. Manna was a tasty mystery, it says here. And in, in, uh, the name manna actually means, what is it? They were looking at it. They had no idea what this was, but it tasted wonderful. The, the statement here is that it resembled coriander seed. It was clear. Uh, it was crisp. It was flaky. And it had the taste of wafers made with honey. Uh, here they are eating croissants and baklava in the desert. But what happened in Israel's life is every single day, the first day uh, they ate it, it was wonderful. They're sitting down with their pot of Egyptian coffee and uh, a little bit of tasty manna, and they were delighted to be in the desert. Day two, they were enjoying manna. Day three, well, it's manna. Day four, man, manna. And day five, they're saying manna again, and they were irritated once again. Complaint would fill up Israel. What did God do through manna? He completely sustained their bodies. All of their physical needs were being met, but their irritation was at God because they did not have the food they wanted. Manna was intended to teach them the power of God's word. He said that every day you would have enough. He told them to gather one omer of it. It was a measuring uh, amount. And they would go out, and if you gathered a ton of it and brought it back to your tent, when you got back to your tent, you still only had an omer. If you went out and everybody else had gathered and you could only gather a little, you'd get back to your tent and God would have filled that gathering basket up to just the right amount. Every day you will have what you need to be sustained. God says you can take me at my word. In fact, it is a picture of God's word in scripture. In spite of complaint, God caused them to experience daily provision. Manna was the answer. But there's a third phrase that we see in this passage that stands out, and it's meant to teach us God's faithfulness when we are faithless. It says not only that they ate the same spiritual food, but they also drank the same spiritual drink. For They drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of this. I, I want you to understand something when Scripture begins to take an actual situation and turn it into a metaphor, we can take that metaphor and carry it forward. But we don't have permission when we're reading scripture to just take a story and turn it into a metaphor. When God does it, he says, there's actually an episode back here and I allowed that episode to happen in order for you to learn a spiritual lesson as well as see an actual event that happened. And the actual event was that water did come from a rock and it was meant to highlight the sufficiency of Christ. That same spiritual drink is a moment where water comes from a rock, and we find that in Exodus 17, just the next chapter in the story. 
Fresh water, it says, was God's response to a contentious spirit. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command, and they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? They weren't just complaining, but they actually had a grumbling that came out of their spirit, Scripture indicated. There was such turmoil on the inside, it led them to be disruptive. They weren't just irritated, now they were factious. They were warring against Moses. They were saying, God has brought us out here to kill us in their anger was at God and his authority. Jesus borrows from the imagery of water from a rock. Here they were contentious, but God settled that contention by giving them a fresh, cool drink. Jesus in John chapter 4 meets the woman at the well, and he says, you're asking me for water, but if you knew who it was you were asking of this water, if you knew who it was you were speaking to, you would ask of me, and I would give you water that would well up for abundant life. I would actually give you water that would be everlasting, that would spring up and satisfy you forever. He's using this exact same imagery. He wants to settle that contention that's in our soul that causes our whole life to disrupt. This week I heard an amazing story about one of the people that attends our church. JP uh, is a, a young man that came to us from the UGM but his path getting here was just a, a series of unfortunate events coming uh, from where he lives all the way to Salem. And he ended up um, using heroin and ODing in the parking lot of Winco. As he was there, functionally dying, somebody else had called uh, the EMTs and a man showed up and was able to give him medicine that he needed in order to keep him alive. Instead of dying that day, he came to life, and through that experience, he actually gave his life to Christ. He's now a graduate of the New Life Campaign at the UGM. In fact, uh, I've been told that even uh, today, at the UGM, Bruce Donahue and a group of guys are, are there joining us in watching uh, the sermons week after week. So to Bruce uh, and you men down there, we love you guys, and we're proud to know you. I'm excited that you've joined us in this journey. JP, one of that crew, had come to Christ and he began praying, Lord, I'd just like to say thank you to those guys who not only gave me my life back, but I'd like to tell them what's happening in my life. And while he was praying that within two weeks at Most Excellent Way on a Monday night, he's there um, just desiring to continue his walk in following the Lord. And a man comes up to him and says, do you remember me? I was the one who gave you that medicine so that you would stay alive. And here, two brothers in Christ are there both saying, we need the Lord in order to be able to continue. But JP is able to look at another man and tell him his story. Not only did uh, that medicine work to bring him back to life, but God, through his word, had so transformed him that he's now, even this week, uh, been set free, graduated from the New Life Campaign, and is going back home to be restored, uh, to be back into a right relationship with them because of victory that only Christ can bring. He was searching for satisfaction in drugs to meet the turbulence that was in his own soul. It didn't satisfy. In fact, it left him at the brink of death, hopeless. And God met him in the middle of that dissatisfaction 
with an answer. Not only was his life saved, but his spiritual life, he was transformed by that experience, gave his life to Christ, and now he's experiencing soul satisfaction because of what God brought him through. God can meet us in our moment of desperation and desires to give us satisfaction if we will only yield to him. In spite of their chronic dissatisfaction, Scripture tells us, God provided soul satisfaction. Now, as we're wrapping up, I just want you to notice the locations that Scripture is talking about. When Moses shows up on the scene, they're coming out of captivity. Uh, as they go into that moment with manna and that moment with water from the rock, they're actually moving into the wilderness of sin, and they're experiencing bitterness, and they're experiencing complaining. The question that it begs us to answer is, what will God do when coming out of captivity, you experience bitterness, and you move into sin, and you begin to complain? What does he do? He meets you with a Savior, gives you personal direction, daily provision, and soul satisfaction. And all of that gets highlighted in days like this. We should take time to apply these words before we move on in these scriptures. What is it that God has done to meet your faithfulness or faithlessness with his faithfulness? He desires to meet you and satisfy you, lead you, to provide for you through his word and to satisfy your soul even today. Will you let him? Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help us in this season to submit to you, to be able to see uh, your desire to lead us, but also to see our soul satisfied in the result. Father, we pray that you would cause us to submit to what we see in your word and to be filled up, to know that it is enough. Father, not just to yield to your word, but to feel our soul satisfied as you through your spirit begin to work out things different from what we deserve. We praise you for your activity in this season, and we pray that you will help us to cling to you. In Jesus' name.